very a very good evening and a very warm welcome to each one of you to today's webinar on leading through a crisis this is the first of a series of webinars and also conversations that we plan to engage in So this uh, webinar, Leading Through a Crisis, what it takes to lead and take people all on in and through a crisis, is jointly hosted by the Vivekananda Institute for Leadership Development, We Lead, and the Grassroots Research and Advocacy Movement, GRAM, and along with Dr. R. Balasubramani, who's the chief speaker today. The Vivekananda Institute for Leadership Development, We Lead, is an initiative of the Swami Vivekananda Youth Movement. And its mission is developing human and social capital for nation building by enhancing the potential of individuals and institutions across the development sector. We Lead engages across four sectors, the government, NGOs, the corporate sector, youth, and community. The co-host the Grassroots Research and Advocacy Movement, GRAM, is a public policy research and advocacy initiative focused on research that incorporates perspectives and policy advocacy driven by empirical evidence. GRAM aims to ensure that the voice of the grassroots communities is significantly accounted for in the process of developments in its interactions across the community, the state, the NGO sector, as well as the private sector. Dr. R. Balasubramanian, today's speaker, having embarked on his journey in the development sector by living and working for several years among remote forest-based tribal communities in the southern district of Mysore, Dr. R. Balasubramanian, fondly known as Dr. Balu, is a widely respected development activist, leadership trainer, thinker, and writer. He has uniquely been able to combine a vast development sector experience with studying and teaching at the world's leading schools of policy and development, including Harvard and Cornell. He's also been a special investigator for the Lokayukta Karnataka. In addition to holding membership and consulting positions in government bodies and commissions, academic boards and development agencies, including the World Bank. Dr. Balu is a visiting professor at Cornell in IIT Delhi, and has also served as the professor and head of the Vivekananda chair of the University of Mysore twice. Dr. Balu, the founder of the Swami Vivekananda Youth Movement and Grassroots Research and Advocacy Movement, embodies a very rare blend of grassroots and macro perspectives and development and policy through his multifaceted experience of more than three decades. His books, I, a Citizen, and Voices from the Grassroots present an alternate approach to human development with focus on engaging with communities and addressing voice poverty. He writes regular columns in both Canada and English dailies and a popular blog that you can read at rbalu.com. I now hand over the session to Dr. Balu. Thank you, Ramesh. Uh, thank you to V-League, SVYM and Gram for
putting this uh, leadership workshop together you know it's a it, it's a it's indeed a great opportunity to be uh, participating in this workshop at a time when the word crisis itself has the meaning of crisis itself has altered so much in the last one month you know several years ago if we were to talk of crisis it would possibly be limited to maybe a family a neighborhood or or sort of a city at the most in the times of terrorism etc or maybe a country even or sometimes when you talk of an economic crisis you could possibly expand it to a set of countries but i think for the first time this world is now faced possibly uh, of a different kind of a dimension in the spanish flu that we saw a crisis which is maybe in a sense a mother of all crises it is possibly getting us to redefine the very understanding of how we see crisis and therefore what what the way we are going to approach this problem today and the way we are going to take learnings from what we are seeing around us and the kind of leadership that we see the fascinating part about the whole thing is it, it, this 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 entire covid crisis has for the first time shown there are no borders or boundaries for crisis it has shown us that it can happen anywhere anytime and to any organization it doesn't matter if you are for the profit sector if you are from the not for profit sector or if you are from the public sector or the government sector it has also shown us for once how vulnerable humankind is it has shown us how frightening and uncertain the future could actually become because nobody knows with certainty how things are going to evolve we can't even say with certainty what the life is going to be 15 days after the current extended lockdown ends it is more importantly shown us the fragility of the global economy and the political realities surrounding this global economy or even countries economies it has also shown us how interconnected the consequences are you know it's very uh, especially if you come from the non profit world which i substantially represent a crisis affecting one organization somewhere you know it could be a for profit actually giving csr funds to the ngo and the pressure that they are under can actually cause layoff in the small little ngo or it can push another vendor to a bankruptcy situation so the interconnectedness of this crisis is something fascinatingly new now earlier also crises have been interconnected but the scale and the dimensionality and the systemic interconnectedness or multi system interconnectedness that we see today but the good thing is that is all the dark cloud as as we talk about a crisis but the silver lining which is what i would like to focus on in today's webinar is 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 it's shown us how we as human kind can actually cope and endure as the price we are paying is huge the stress is huge but then we are also coping and enduring it is also for the first time brought out how leadership can work or not work we have seen such fascinating expressions of leadership at multiple levels it could be a small level where an asha worker in a village and the kind of leadership she demonstrates or the way non profits come together and they demonstrate leadership or the way corporates have been demonstrating leadership by shifting their production lines from making automobiles to ventilators or even national leadership especially in countries like india singapore new zealand where we have actually seen how leadership can work and demonstrate success we have also seen in several countries how leadership has failed how the challenges of leadership the wrong judgment calls that have been taken in the past some of the european countries and other other countries in the west that we are seeing today now i think this is a great opportunity for us for many many things you know for rediscovering ourselves for understanding our true selves 
to understanding expressions of leadership in a scale in which it was never imagined before, and possibly using this opportunity to make this world a better place. But for all the long-term consequences to emerge, we need to understand in the short term what exactly is this leadership that we need to negotiate to the current crisis. There is a crisis on hand. It's an acute phase. How do we first survive this and then we can talk about the other leadership? So I'm going to possibly spend my talk now talking generally a few minutes about what exactly is leadership because we all need to understand from a common perspective what we mean when we use the word leadership. Second, I would like to talk about how does it look in a crisis like this? You know, and we can definitely extrapolate a micro crisis and a response to a micro crisis situation that we might be facing every day or some days. So what is it that how will leadership look like in this crisis? What is it? What will it hope to achieve? And then I would like to conclude with more specific suggestions about at a personal level, what is it that we need to do that some of us who want to be on this journey of leadership, when we actually hit a crisis, what are those three or four or five things that we can all do actually much more to be enable us to be able to meet and handle and deal with such crisis and go beyond the crisis itself. So I'm going to sort of put it together in three different pieces. And uh, after my talk, maybe of 30, 35 minutes, we'll have 20, 25 minutes for questions. I know some of you have sent in your questions already. I'll try to cover it as I talk. And whatever is left out, Ramesh as the facilitator will possibly remind me of those questions and leave the question answer session and help me uh, address a few questions by curating them together. So let me begin with what exactly is leadership? Now, conventionally, intuitively, we all think we know leadership. We all understand it from the perspective of a very intuitive appreciation of somebody at the top, somebody with authority, somebody with the ability to take decisions, actually leading and helping us arrive at those decisions and having a set of people following him in, in, in taking it to its logical conclusion. In the corporate world, many times it's seen as the man with the vision who actually expresses the vision, inspires a set of people around him, influences them, gets them to do what he thinks is the right thing to do and help them all together achieve that vision. I would like to begin my conversation with two slightly different ways of looking at leadership. While I don't disagree with many of what people think about leadership as, I would like to see it from two different perspectives, especially from the perspective of the crisis. My first view of leadership would be, how does leadership look if you look at it as an activity? And if you look at it as achieving something, so we all, in a crisis also, it's, some, it's all very action driven because you've got to solve the crisis, which means you've got to take action. So I would for me define leadership as an activity. It's something which you do, but you do what? You do something to actually mobilize a group. You know, you've got to mobilize a set of people around you to solve the problem. And solving problem is actually good for society. If it's a COVID crisis, now you want to put an end to the crisis. You want to contain it. You want to manage the economic fallout. And everything that you do is to the desirable end of making society better. So, and, but there's no certainty. We really don't know a week from today, or two weeks from today, a month from today, if the steps that we're taking today are actually going to yield any, any uh, positive benefits or not. Nobody can actually say it. It's become so very fluid. So to me, I would say that leadership is an activity of mobilizing a group and all our resources around us to achieve something societally constructive amidst enormous uncertainty. Despite the uncertainty, the ability to inspire ourselves and people around us and mobilize them, that is going to be the expression of true leadership. And 
I would sort of expand it or qualify it a little further and say, in a sense, I would say leadership would be something which is, you know, it's about constructing a reality as close to reality as possible. Now the world of uncertainty, which is so dynamic today, constructing any kind of reality is such a challenge. And countries which have been able to define reality as close to it as possible and initiate action based on this. And again, like I said earlier, I would, I would possibly give three classical examples. India is work in progress. A lot of things have been tried to be understood as, as close to reality as possible. A very stepwise incremental removal of lockdown, which I think is an excellent decision. It's a very good leadership decision will help us understand and unpack this reality as it comes out and therefore prepare ourselves to act on it. Or the way New Zealand and the current Prime Minister there, the way she has acted and reached a point of conclusion and action based on the reality as it unfolded the last few weeks. Or in Singapore, where they expected the reality to play out in a particular way, forgetting the entire reality of the migrant labor that they had in their country and jam-packed together in housing situations. So they homogenized the reality of the rest of Singapore to be the whole Singapore and the subsequent problems they face and now the way they're solving it. All three, I think, are great examples of how the reality unfolded. And so to me, leadership, I would also define it as the ability to define reality as close to reality as possible. But during this crisis, remember, leaders don't have a predefined response plan. You might have simulation. That is all management. In the world of management, we plan for crises. Crisis management defines the simulated crisis and then says, how do we respond to it? I know the Disaster Management Authority actually has simulations for what happens if a pandemic comes up or what happens if a nuclear war happens or what happens if there's a major earthquake. You know, there are certain set crises which with historical data, we know how it plays out and therefore we can plan for something. But when you have a crisis of this kind where the uncertainty is so much, no amount of planning works, the data is so incomplete, information is not there, your current toolbox doesn't have any tools to manage it. It is an enormous challenge for leadership to plan a response plan. So you need a new behavioral way of looking at it, a new mindset. A mindset which does not overreact to today's development. Now look at all the television channels, look at all the narratives, look at all the newspaper editorials. I see them so the spectrum of from under-reporting to over-exaggeration. You've seen the entire spectrum. We have seen the spectrum of people calling themselves experts in every damn thing under the sun and provi providing solutions, how things should be done. Just imagine this kind of feedback on the leadership of the systems and how they can look at it. Despite all this noise, these people expressing leadership have to stay focused on today's development, but at the same time look ahead. They can't afford to say I'm only solving the problem today. They need to look ahead. So it requires a different mindset from managing everyday life as we know it to building the ability to deal with uncertainty to solving for today and planning for the uncertainty of tomorrow. So this is the kind of leadership we need and let's look at what is it, how will it look like and what will it achieve if it looks like the way I'm talking. And I'm talk, drawing heavily from examples of several countries which I would not like to mention names today but from learning from all these countries and several top leadership, mostly political or public health or global institutions like the WHO. My, my way of looking at what, how does how leadership played out in the macro crisis? And then I go back at the personal level, the micro level, how we can use this information and knowledge. So I believe today we need to work 
with what one knows. We begin from there. After all, all of us are human beings. And the only certainty we have is a certainty of our own experience, expertise, and knowledge. So we begin with that, but we stay open to the fact that we don't know a lot of stuff. So we work with what one knows, but being open to what one needs to know. And therefore, that knowledge is going to be essential. And time is of the essence. And I may not have the time and the luxury of acquiring that expertise by myself and solving the problem. We also need to say that we've got to be futuristic in our thinking too, to deal with the likely consequences of not only the crisis, but of some of the solutions we think we're applying today for solving the crisis. So they can have their own consequences too. For example, lockdown is a brilliant example. Lockdown is a very important solution for containment, which is how the crisis had to be responded to. But the lockdown has got several unintended consequences on the migrant laborers, on the economy, on the rural populations, on the kind of food production this country can have, the industrial production. So we need to have a futuristic outlook on how do you solve the consequences of some of the actions that you thought will solve the crisis itself. We need to build the capacity. Leadership needs to have the capacity now to deal with inadequate data. And therefore, you need people with different levels of expertise and experience because this crisis draws in so much from different systems that no one man can have the knowledge of how to deal with it. So no one government head or no one political leader can simply say, I can handle this crisis. You can never have a leader ready for this crisis. So you cannot really prepare yourself for crisis leadership. You learn as you go. You can only have several crisis managers helping you small in bits and pieces of this crisis. So we need a lot of people with different kinds of experience, different levels of domain knowledge, who necessarily will bring in diverse perspectives. And they will help you with their inputs to help you get closer to reality. So each one has his own definition of reality. The virologist has his definition of reality. The public health specialist will have his definition of reality. The Reserve Bank head will have his own definition of reality. Your finance ministry will have its definition of reality. Your political constituency base will have its own reaction of uh, understanding of reality. Now you as the person leading this has to put all this reality together and see how do you define reality which is going to be critical. Understand how dynamic it is going to be, how varied it is going to be. Keeping all these views in mind, you need to come up with what you think would be a way forward. And that's not easy for anybody. It's always very easy for armchair critics to keep talking about all this. But then when you actually are thrown out there, these are the real challenges and how do you negotiate this? So it's important for you to understand that it is not about your ability to manage a crisis. It's about your ability to collaborate and work with diverse perspectives on how you manage this crisis. So you need something. You need a combination of the heart and the mind. You need to be sensitive enough emotionally to listen to what your heart says. And when there's a crisis driven by science and scientific basis, you've got to have the ability to wrap your mind around the science around it. Combine what your scientific people are telling you and combine what your heart tells you from the ground. And this ability, when you can get to use your cognition, process data as and when it emerges, process historical experience of yourself and others around you, and process the emotions that are constantly emerging. Look at the emotions that is playing on. Everybody seems to have their own take on the story and their own emotions. And despite that, so you got to be, as a person demonstrating leadership, and you can reduce this to a very small family level too. You got to be demanding. You got to be reassuring, but not intrusive. You got to be responsive, but not reactive. You got to be present, provide presence. You don't have to be perfect. And now, you know, just look at it. It's like, it's like a mother, a parent. As a child, when you 
when something goes wrong, deep down you're troubled, you're worried, but you know somewhere behind there's a voice telling you, my mother will take care. Your mother, which is going to be very firm with you, very polite, very demanding, very reassuring, an arm wrapped around to the child, but she's not necessarily intrusive because if you're intrusive and you're a parachuting mother, then you take away the real concept of motherhood. You're responding to the child, but you're not disempowering the child. You're constantly there reassuring the child, but not replacing the child with your decisions. And that is the kind of leadership we need to see for this crisis. We need to understand that making a decision now is more important than making a perfect decision. Now, I see a lot of criticism of people around the world. Because people expect in their minds and their thinking, what is a perfect decision? And they want the person handling the crisis to make that perfect decision. It is perfect on the reality what they see. But the person taking the decision might be seeing multiple realities coming in from different directions and places thrown at him. And he has to curate it, collate it, put it together, make meaning out of it. And so he, and he needs to be decisive. He can't be playing around. And I think that is where the national leadership in India is brilliant. It was very clear, and you can never say lockdown is a perfect decision, but it had to be made. And making the decision, however imperfect it is, or however data gaps are there, we still do it. So deciding what to do is important, but we need to remember deciding what not to do during the crisis is also very critical. And that's also leadership. So leadership is not just doing. Sometimes leadership is not doing also. And during crisis, they can be very disruptive. They can be very distractive also. And that's what puts people in discomfort. There's so much of disequilibrium around. Most of us love comfort. We all don't like to be thrown into chaos. So we have now suddenly thrown into chaos. There's so many things to be handled. And in this chaos, there's so much of noise coming to us. And what is the noise that you listen to? What is the noise you filter is going to be leadership. Along with the fact that you stay focused on what needs to be done. And what needs to be done is addressing the crisis, communicating the strength of addressing the crisis, at the same time, not losing sight of the original mandate of your organization or your role. If you're the CEO of a company and this crisis has stopped production, your immediate solution is to actually look at how you get the production going with all the challenges of the external ecosystem, the regulatory frameworks of lockdown, etc. So you have to solve the crisis, make sure your employees are safe, everything is happening. At the same time, you can't forget the long-term reason why you set up the company itself. So it is addressing the short-term and the long-term is both crisis leadership. Crisis leadership is not just the immediacy of the crisis, but something, the immediate crisis response plus a set of ongoing activities which you need to stay focused on. So from a personal point of view, how does it look? Let's say you're the head of a family in the crisis, you're the CEO of a company, you may be the head of a small NGO, large NGO, you may be the head of the state, you may be the chief minister or you may be the prime minister. What is it that is absolutely necessary from a person who necessarily has to have authority to solve the crisis? You know, in situations where crisis, it's important that the leadership is vested with authority to manage it also. We need that person to communicate a sustained presence, provide direction. Like I said, it might be imperfect, but still he needs to provide direction. He needs to maintain his calm. He has to be strong but you have to be realistic also. You cannot show panic, but you've got to be realistic about the real problem and the challenge of it and the consequences that may emerge. You will have to actually show what I call the, the three important Ds. One is you've got to be dispassionate. You cannot get carried away with the emotion of the crisis. You cannot put your hands on your head and say, oh my God, 10,000 employees are going to be jobless tomorrow. You've got to hold yourself 
a little more detached, be the mindless observer. And this is where I think the Bhagavad Gita has a beautiful way of expressing it. We need to be dispassionate, see things as though it's happening, but not actually get sucked into it. We need to have the ability to discriminate. Discriminate between, like I said, noise and voice. Discriminate between ask reality and what looks like reality. And then you need to detach yourself from the consequences of what you're doing. Otherwise, in situations like this, the very fact that if you think of what can happen as a consequence, that can paralyze you from doing what needs to be done now. So again, I would say the Gita is so beautiful. This is a time when you don't get attached to the fruits of your action, but act because your role demands you to do that. And that becomes critical. So you have to first put people first. And I think that is where India was very clear from day one. Life first, livelihood next. So I think that's, a, that's very important for crisis leadership. Put people first. The situation comes next. Address the human tragedy. Deal with the consequences of your decisions and the tragedy later. And I think that is, that is brilliant. The second thing of leadership, and which I think, like I explained, all these three countries did it so well. Communicate it to people. Tell the people the truth. Don't create an impression of what is not there and say, I can solve it. Don't create the impression you're the messiah coming to save this world. Don't create the impression that you can solve all the problems. Tell them the truth and tell them what they need to do. And this crisis is not something like one man waving a magic wand and everything will fall in place. Thousands of people have to be mobilized to actually do this. And so you need to be able to personalize your communication, demonstrate compassion and love, demonstrate the intent of being there to solve the problem and not running away from it, demonstrate presence. So whether it's a small crisis in your family or a national crisis, this is such a very important step. Personalize it, demonstrate love and compassion, show your intent and make your presence. Create a holding environment. Holding environment is like a pressure cooker. You keep a pressure cooker on a stove, you put everything to boil, cook inside, rice, vegetables, dal. It's under tremendous pressure. You can, if you if uncontrolled, the pressure can explode. And that's what can happen if a crisis is not managed by a good leader. But you got to be like a parent, like I explained before, provide the holding environment, provide the container that assures the people inside security, safety, and presence. Give your team members the feeling that we will eventually win. We are not going to give up. And that's the charisma you need to have. You got to think of some, think of how, like I explained the childhood example. You are going through a crisis, but you know that somebody is there. I can think of myself when I was a young intern. And suddenly one day my professor said, in the when I was doing my surgical rotation, he simply gave me the scalpel and said, do the incision on the skin. And I could even now remember my, my when, it, when he was doing it, it looked so simple. It looked, he could simply cut it. And when I tried to cut the skin, the skin was just not, I couldn't incise. I couldn't even create an incision. I was, I was, putting so little pressure that I couldn't incise. And then the professor told me, come on, press harder. Then something inside told me, what the hell, let me press hard, let's see what happened. If I even cut an artery or a vein, my professor is there, he'll take care. So this, this reassuring presence of my professor actually gave me the courage to go ahead and actually do the incision. And that's how I, I got over this fear. Because I knew somebody is there to correct it if something goes wrong. That is the kind of presence you know to give your teammates. The man is there, the person is there, he'll take care. You've got to be able to learn to adapt because it's going to make demands on you which is not normal. Your beliefs have to change. Your values have to change. Your practices have to change. You may not be a team person till then, but the crisis will make you understand that you have to change to become a team person. You may think that you may have disdain for technical expertise, but now you suddenly realize that you need technical expertise. 
So we have to learn to go beyond the default rigidities. Each of us over time build our own rigidities. And we all value experience so much that sometimes we don't understand experience of our past starts getting to influence your actions of the present and the future. We got to treat experience with the respect it deserves and not give it more than what it deserves. Experience is a great teacher, but it should only inform you. It should not start influencing you. If it influences you, you're caught in the groove of your rigidities and you've got to transcend it. That's what personal leadership looks like. You've got to look for allies to work with you. Remember, this battle cannot be fought alone. It is not about the great man out there being the messiah solving it, but it is about you working together with others and not even being noticed. So can you subsume yourself? You're not the sole crusader. Can you, can you actually just be one of the many who together is going to solve the problem? Give credit where it needs to be given because you need everybody to solve this problem. So learning to work with allies helps you build coalitions to solve the problem. You may have to seek, learn to seek advice from people who may have more data, people who may never have agreed with you in the past. And I think it's brilliant in the way, if you look at the way, when I, I, I give this example because it is back home, it is very close to us. The way the Prime Minister asked the people to participate, give the work back to the people. The way he reached out to all the chief ministers, made them his allies in this battle. The way he reached out to opposition party leaders and said, let's fight this battle together. The way he built a coalition with the neighboring leaders also. Some countries might not have joined, that is okay. But then this ability to do that, to me, is a reflection of the leadership that has shown. Reaching out to our adversaries even. And then learning to move from cooperation, you know. Earlier, leadership is all about cooperating with each other. That is a slogan given. But now we need to learn to collaborate. Remember, collaboration is working together to reach a common goal. Cooperation is just supporting each other to reach their own respective goods. You have a goal, I have a goal, I help you reach the goal, I'm cooperating with you. But both of us together are fighting COVID, we are collaborating. But we need to be humble as a person. We need to provide inspiration. More importantly, we need to be open to experimentation. Because we have no known solutions. When the problem is unclear, you will have to try out solutions. You must have the courage to try it out. So many options are available. It's very difficult to take a pick. You know that somebody says plasma therapy might work. Somebody else came, comes and says hydrochloroquine will work. Somebody else says a combination of azithromycin, something else will work. I'm giving these examples because the COVID crisis is fresh in our minds. But look at any situation, even an organizational crisis. HR people will come and tell you a particular solution. The finance people will come and tell you a particular solution. You as a CEO has to think about the consequences of the brand and the image of the organization. Your community pressure that you have, your customer vendor pressures that you have. But you'll have to be open to experimentation. You'll have to stop allowing yourself to be tempted to fall back to the beaten path, the only solution that people know, or the management strategies are learned in an MBA school or course. But you'll have to be able to go beyond that, transcend the position of your stature or authority in the organization, transcend your own experience and influence of experience. Try out these experiments and see what works, what does not work. Constantly learning from it. It's something like action research, constant work in progress, having the courage to do that and be very decisive about it. Giving the work back to people, learning not to get seduced to believe that you can solve the problem. Have the humility to say you must still fail. Separating yourself from the self, the role from the self. You know, after doing all this, some things work, some things will not work. People will have a lot of emotion the way they look at it. They'll challenge your decisions. They'll take positions about your position. So they will humiliate you. They will criticize you. When things don't work, especially people come on you like a ton of bricks. 
and they will talk all kinds of stuff some in front of you some behind you you be subject to all these things you will are you willing to suffer the criticism and humiliation whether it's a small crisis or a large crisis these are realities so when you take on the position of leadership you're taking on the responsibility of suffering the criticisms and humiliation that you might be subjected to people are short sighted they are very quick to come to judgments but can you endure all that and stay focused that i am not only going to solve the problem of today i'm going to prepare my people to solve the problem of tomorrow which might actually be a problem because of my solution of today having the humility to understand that you might actually be screwing up you may not be doing a good job but your sincerity is never in question your conviction of purpose is never in question your integrity is not in question and you know that you are doing this not for yourself or your personal aggrandizement but for actually solving the problem so staying grounded subsuming your ego keeping your sight on what needs to be done so lessons are plenty from this covid crisis i just put together a set of things that are relatable to all of us whether it's a crisis at home a elderly family member suddenly becoming jobless some very important family member dying or your business family brothers fight and you fall apart everything is a crisis or your son or daughter in the indian cultural context who like to marry somebody of his or her choice and you don't approve of it it's also it's a small crisis like that or you lost your money purse on the roadside it's also a crisis for you at that moment of time how do you relate to it how do you look at it can you just take principles of learning from all these experiences and together with the team that you have around with the resources that you can mobilize can you actually solve these problems can you also not only solve the immediate problem the acute crisis but also learn to build that adaptiveness for yourself your teams and your people to solve this crisis for the long term too if that can happen then i think you're begin the journey of understanding leadership itself and the deployment of leadership in the manner in which i just explained would be the real way of dealing with the crisis so crisis is not something to be run away from crisis can be a test of leadership itself crisis can be an opportunity for you to grow as a leader for you to evolve and remember leadership itself is a tapasya leadership itself is not just occupying positions of authority leadership is a huge responsibility but if you practice it with the dispassion the discrimination and the detachment that i spoke about then you will see leadership is not a burden but leadership is a fascinating spiritual journey with that i will now conclude the key thoughts that i shared and open myself to questions that you might all have and then spend the next few minutes talking about those questions thank you invite ramesh to take over and bring in the questions thank you dr balu that was a very enlightening session on this particular crisis uh this is something that you touched upon uh, during your talk but i see a lot of questions that have come up specifically on that i think people want some elaboration on that so i will uh, ask that question uh, it is this that uh, like you mentioned this is a crisis that nobody could have planned for it it, it just came upon came upon us and we couldn't have planned for this crisis uh given that situation uh, and given that you know uh, people are looking up to leaders to find answers how does a leader behave like that it's uh, a leader uh, one of the quest questioners asking the, the leader cannot uh, exhibit vulnerability or how does a leader respond in such a situation can you come again i lost out a few words in the middle ramesh can you please repeat it for me 
Yeah, I think uh, the uh, is it better now? Yeah, it's better now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the question specifically, you you touched upon it, but the question specifically was that this was not a crisis that uh, people could have planned for. It came upon us all of a sudden, and there is no one who could have planned for it. Uh, given that situation, uh, how and when people are particularly looking up to leaders for solutions. How does a leader behave in such a situation when he or she himself herself does not know how to respond in such a situation? Could you give some could you elaborate on this specific point? How, how does a leader keep quiet about his own vulnerability and still exhibit leadership? He doesn't keep quiet about his vulnerability. You can actually, as, as I spoke, I explained this, coming to terms with your vulnerability, your inadequacies is not lack of leadership. That is a true expression of leadership. Coming to terms with your own insecurity and being honest about it gives you the freedom to fail, gives you the humility to build relationships, to give people along with you, gives you the wisdom that you alone cannot solve this problem. It actually puts you in a place where you can, you can go out there, build coalitions, experiment together, explore together. Now, I would simply say such leadership positions don't get paralyzed by your vulnerability, don't get stuck in that space. But use the opportunity of your insecurity and your vulnerability to go deeper inside you and bring out your complete potential out. You know, there is that extraordinary inner potential that every one of us is endowed with. It is just that we have told ourselves the story of our weakness. We have told ourselves the stories of our inability. We have told ourselves the stories of, oh, this can't be done by me. I think this is an opportunity where you say, despite the challenges, despite the vulnerability, I'm going to exhibit the deep inner strength and that is why I keep going back to what I said in the end of the discussion. That unless you feel that inner connect, the understanding of your true self, unleash the power within you, I don't think that is real leadership at all. Learning to unleash that power and responding to the situation, accepting your vulnerability and your insecurities, being open to learning, continuing to be humble, but not being threatened by your vulnerability. That is the expression of leadership. And that is what we saw in a few countries I explained to you. You spoke about uh, a leader being dispassionate as well as to be detached. Uh, how, how does, uh, is, isn't uh, both the same? So when you, when you talk about the leader being dispassionate and detached, what exactly uh, do you mean uh, by that? Let me give an example. No, when, when I, let's say I'm, I'm the prime minister of a country, country A or B and I'm facing a crisis like the COVID crisis or simplistic, I am, I am, let's say the head of an organization which is facing the threat of a stoppage of funding. And this is a real crisis for a lot of people in my situation today. And we know that the substantial 30 to 40% of your annual budget is going to get, the pipeline is going to stop, which means you're going to have at least 25 to 30% of your working staff to be relieved. And unfortunately, as situations like these reflect, it is a man on the ground with smaller salaries, with little financial security that gets chopped up the first. It is these kind of jobs which are seen as less important and they get relieved first. And so you have to take the call because the crisis is about responding to the call. At the same time, you've got to preserve the company's life for beyond what this crisis can take you. So you have to be dispassionate about this difficult emotional decision. It's not easy sitting in a position of power and authority, sitting over judgment of which are the 100 people I'm going to let go. It's a very 
difficult decision arousing enormous passions enormous self doubts removing yourself from it looking at it objectively and doing what needs to be done is dispassionate action detachment is you acted but you are not going to get attached to the consequence of that because any action produces either a positive consequence or a negative consequence something which you desired or undesired consequence desire can be good or bad undesired also can be good or bad whatever it is when you decide to do something and tomorrow the consequence of what you did creates feelings of the same passion you get locked down in the guilt saying that i should not have done it or the next time you have to repeat the same decision you feel oh my god last time i did it this is what happened so i will not do it so you get stuck between the guilt of your past or the fear of the future but this detachment brings you the ability to stay in the present so detachment is detaching yourself from the consequence of an action already taken dispassion is being objective trying to remove yourself from the scenario put yourself in the balcony or see your see the whole picture as an observer from a helicopter view and then deciding what to do but once you do not getting attached to the consequence of what you have done that is detachment hope i have been able to give you the difference clearly i think one of the questions that has uh, come up quite uh, there was a similar question so questions that are uh, very similar i am not asking because uh, i am going to club them together uh, one of the questions that's come up is uh, how do we uh, balance personal well being which you spoke about uh, in a situation where we are going to have increased workloads increased pressures uh, particularly in this uh, post covid uh, situation while we are trying to cope with our own inadequacies as well see this is this is what is the journey for every one of us right because leadership is not you don't have the answers the willingness to say that these are realities i'm going to get exposed to that's why in my talk earlier i said about our ability to adapt lot of our values as we know them lot of the practices that we are used to are going to get challenged you have to learn to adapt and become better and change those values you will not have a standard operating procedure and how to perform in that situation you will have to build an adaptive culture and adaptiveness is not a dna all of us have or organizations have your ability to build the adaptiveness of yourself and your teams adaptiveness means your ability to change values beliefs and practices based on the contextual pressures of that moment of time that is going to determine how well you are going to express leadership all organizations irrespective of how big or small they are whether they are national governments subnational governments individual organizations are going to be facing this problem they will have to learn the new normal is not predictable they have to learn to address the situation some organizations are responding extremely well universities are going to alter the way higher education is going to operate work from home is a nice slogan for technology driven companies but for companies which can't operate from work from home where physical requirements are there they are going to define a new normal they got to adapt to that situation so every one of us is going to learn to adapt and it's going to be a constant trial and experimentation that is why i said crisis leadership is about the courage to experiment we don't none of us have the answers i don't have an answer step by step answer to say this particular crisis this so we can resolve it we'll have to have the crisis to emerge and constantly learn alongside it and the only thing you can do is learn to have the courage to experiment learn to stay grounded and be humble learn to reach out to people and say i don't know what to do can you help me 
Why is it not appropriate for a person in a leadership position to reach out to somebody and say, irrespective of what stage or position he has got within or outside the organization, and say, hey, I don't know. Please help me. Learning to say, I don't know with the intent of knowing is not vulnerability. And I think all the future leaders have to learn all that now. They'll have to learn that to understand that leadership is not a position where you have the answers to all problems. You are, it's a position where you are going to not only help yourself learn, you're going to take others along with you to learn. And that is the process of empowerment. And that's going to be a new skill for several people. And people who can do that are the ones who are going to succeed. Thank you. There's another question that says, uh, uh, are there specific changes that uh, you see happening, uh, particularly in the uh, domains of uh, CSR and the social sector, the development sector itself? Any, any specific ideas or uh, thoughts that you have? Uh, well, it may not directly relate to leadership. I see several things changing now. A lot of things are going to change the ecosystem. Most CSR decisions in this country were driven by two or three reasons. One reason could have been the regulatory pressures of the state, which brought the 2% law into action. And therefore, companies had to necessarily fall under the regulatory process and deliver on the CSR commitment. Second, they were also driven by the fact that you were actually making profits. Now, you cannot be unhealthy organization saying, I'll take care of the health of the communities around me. Your mandate is creating profits for yourself. And you might have felt good about it and say, I'll share my profits with somebody else. It could be the Bill Gates or the Warren Buffett or the Azim Prentis in our own backyard. They're making money, but they know that their money is not going to be great change except if it's applied and deployed properly. That's the second kind of thing. Third situation is people genuinely believe that they have an obligation to society. Some of the Tata Group companies, we have seen that they perform in that particular manner. But depending on all the scenarios, we still have a situation where the external ecosystem can alter all this. Today, the external, and your response will change based on that. Today, the external ecosystem says, we have to respond to the COVID crisis. Even the corporates can give, and several of them have done that now, would either donate to the PM Cares Fund or to organizations working in the space of COVID management. And therefore, not have any money left over, even if they want to do it, to support their ongoing support activities and organizations. So small organizations without the ability to thrive, without this support, might even close down. I suspect that will happen. Certain big organizations might be able to endure the crisis, may be losing out a lot of their impact or their work, may leave out some work in the middle or leave, let some people go, come back, recover and come back again. Few organizations are going to actually do something else. Those organizations have leadership. Those organizations which can evolve, those organizations which have the adaptive capacity are going to evolve into a next level organization. And that is where I feel they'll hybridize themselves. If it's a completely social sector organization, only looking at social good, that is not going to work anymore. The new reality, that's not going to work. So they'll have to look at how do I mobilize my resources to take care of my own social good. So these are going to get hybridized into the intent is going to be, I have to do good. But the means is going to be, I have to generate profits for my work. So we'll have a new sector, a fourth sector, emerge from all this crisis, which is going to look at doing, it's going to have the DNA of the social sector or the public sector and the for-profit making efficiency of the private sector, combining it. And that is the leadership that is going to enable these organizations that will actually survive and learn from this crisis. Thank you. 
again, although not specific to leadership, I think quite a lot of the questions are to do with the uh, the economy and how uh, things are going to shape up. So since there are several questions that I'll ask this, uh, I think uh, uh, several questions that have come up is, uh, you know, uh, prior to this, we were looking at a fighter in economy and uh, all of these things. This uh, crisis has, you know, put most of it into uh, this one. So how do you think uh, the leaders across the world and leaders in India should respond to uh, the, the, the situation that's going to come up uh, very soon. I have some definitive thoughts on this and I'm definitely going to share them. You know, leadership in one ecosystem was about all this GDP growth and per capita incomes and countries getting 5 trillion of, or first in the world economy, second in the world economy, third in the world number. These things matter. Ease of doing business. We all, all these narratives built around wealth creation. So it is nothing wrong in that. Again, don't get me wrong. Wealth creation and capitalism has been able to address a lot of problems in this world, including poverty to a substantial extent. You've seen examples in China and India. But I think capitalism is going to get redefined. It's going to be the next version. It's going to be soulful economy that's going to emerge. And leaders which can recognize this are going to lead their countries into the state. It might not be a one-day affair. Like I said, there's an acute responsibility, the acute crisis of containment, managing the virus, going beyond it, finding the scientific requirements of generating vaccines, treatment, making your ventilators, taking care of your health system. Those immediacy is there. Ensuring you pump money, give the bailouts, all those are band-aids for the immediate and you have to do it. There's no choice. Good leadership is handling the acute crisis, giving your presence. But real leadership is transcending this and looking at what caused this, what actually brought us to the state. The mindless consumerist tendencies of ruining the planet, destroying climate justice, removing fairness and equity in the entire system of understanding the way economies grow has been a substantial contributor to this. So I think real leadership are people who are going to stay focused on what I say as the quadruple piece. Earlier, we've all known the triple piece, the triple bottom line concepts of people, planet and profits. Now I think leadership is going to be about people, planet, profits and peace. Peace at every level, not just in the physical level of not killing or fighting with each other, but peaceful means of coexistence with every little creation that God has made. Or if you don't believe in God, the way nature has created for us. So peaceful coexistence in this world, in this community of species and genus that we are a part of, that is going to determine leadership. And I think not just this COVID pandemic, COVID pandemic is one of the messages the world is throwing at us. Nature is throwing it as we better learn from it. Eventually, we're going to keep seeing more and more of these arise. We're going to see different forms of crises, not be just a pandemic. It could be major wars. It could be nuclear issues. It could be climate justice issues. It could be climate change in its real rude expo exposing way of destroying this planet. We're seeing all this happen. It could be disasters, both man-made, natural. We're going to keep creating this for ourselves if we don't move towards this fourth piece. And I think several leaders are already demonstrating this kind of vision. I'll give a small example. After the Christchurch shooting at New Zealand, look at the enormous wisdom of that young lady, the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Within a month, she actually reached out to all the three other political parties, the allies, built a coalition, communicated this problem to her people who loved the semi-automatic weapons. Within a month, banned it. Not only banned it, but she was humane and compassionate. She said, I know you paid money for the gun. I'll reimburse you. Give it back to me. So I think that's just a small example. But people are going to think like this out of the box. Think for this four piece. 
and refashion a new economic order, which will possibly make sure all these things are a thing of the past. I think we have uh, time for one question. Uh, there's one segment that, you know, there's a comment here that says that one segment that we've asked the question, but you're not addressed, it is this. Uh, so I'll ask the question. Uh, the homemaker at home is the is the leader of the house, but uh, he uh, but uh, they face the uh, brunt of uh, most of the uh, uh, issues that come up. How does the homemaker lead the home in a in a crisis such as this? Is there other specific messages that is there a specific message you would like to share with the homemakers? I, I have a different take on this because I think we belong, we are all subscribing to the cultural stereotype of a homemaker just being the woman. I think every one of us are equally responsible for the home as much as for the outside world. I think we need to transcend the stereotypes and understand that we all have roles to play. When the roles are important, everybody has got an equal stake in the way we express our leadership, whether it's in the home situation, the family situation, or in the professional settings. So to me, all of us have to express leadership in four domains. One, when it comes to our own selves and the way we deal with ourselves. The second domain is the family domain. And each of us have an obligation in the role that we play. I might be a husband, I might be a father, I might be a brother, I might be a son. Or I might be a wife, I might be a mother, I might be an auntie, I might be a cousin. We all have roles to play in the family setup. And playing our role to the extent that we can, as honestly as we can, is a responsibility. So let's not stereotype roles. The third responsibility we have is as a community, our neighbors, our friends, who are not professional colleagues at work, they're not blood relatives, but they are still people who are working with. Society needs to move on. And how do you deal with that? So learning to deal and exercise total leadership in all the four domains is going to be critical. I think this crisis has thrown the down. You know, we, we equate leadership to decision-making. We equate leadership to visibility. We equate leadership to being there and being and doing all the stuff. I think that is not appropriate. That's just the role demand. And this context of saying someone mentally equating a homemaker to a wife that or a woman or the mother, that itself to me creates a lot of discomfort. I think we are all equally responsible, though we may not behave that way. Now it is time for the men of the world to recognize and learn this and say, be respectful of the role and the contributions that the other gender brings in. De-genderize this context of leadership. And Remember that together is what we can make a difference. Now, doing this, I think that is going to be the real leadership that all of us can express. You possibly could take one more question or shall I answer one specific question? I see a lot of questions and I know that the 30 more questions that I've received, which possibly the time will not help us solve so one question I'd like to end there saying that how do NGO leaders who may be forced to scale down programs with funding constraints communicate with beneficiaries? I think tell them the truth. Tell them exactly the situation that you're under. Tell them that the challenges that you're facing, reach out to your communities and say, this is the ecosystem, these are the pressures, this is how I was operating. Be transparent, be honest, and then tell them I'm going to not stop here. I'm going to continue this battle Continue to seek support, continue to mobilize. Don't see the people you're working with as recipients of your service. Remember, they're partners in progress. And partners means we are equal and we need to find solutions together. The moment you think of yourself as a provider, then you get to feel empowered and they are disempowered. I don't even like the word disempowered. We have to make people understand that they are in a different situation, we are in a different situation. 
Only together can we make a difference. And the current context that is being challenged. So once you sit with them, open out with them, tell them the truth and say, together, let's explore a solution. Don't take on the fact that you are the solution provider. You're not. Together, let's provide a solution. And I am sure that that problem will emerge. The solution will emerge from sort of problem. And people will surprise you. No, leadership is about not being a leader. Leadership is about creating thousands of leaders. And this crisis is going to lead to that. Each one of us have no choice. The world's problems are so large. What we have brought upon ourselves and our humanity is so difficult to even comprehend today that no one man can walk this journey. No one man can solve the problems. We need to understand with all the humility that we can generate, learning to coexist, learning to co-generate solutions, learning to deeply listen, learning to work with each other. That is the only way, not only to transcend and solve the current crisis, but to go beyond this crisis and ensure that we are all prepared to see what the world can bring to us. And in our own ways, you may never be able to have the toolkit to deal with all the uncertainties, but you can only build yourself, empower yourself with the confidence that you can negotiate the uncertainties a little more certainly. That's the best you can do. And I wish you all well and to invite you all to carry on this journey. And I, I, I know a lot of questions have come. I'll try to see if I can write about it and therefore answer it. Or if, there's, if time permits, we could all regroup again sometime and just talk about the questions that I have received. So thank you all once more. Thank you, Willie, for organizing this. Thank you, Graham. Thank you all for people to putting this together. And all the wonderful participants who spent the last one hour exploring this understanding of leadership, how it can flower out, pan out in a crisis, and how we can all build ourselves to solve crisis at a very small micro-personal level to possibly at a national, supranational level. Thank you, and hopefully all of you will have something to learn from this. So please stay safe, stay at home, and let's all continue this battle of making humanity better and better every day together. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Balu, and thank you, uh, all participants. I think uh, you might want to look out for a book that is going to be launched uh, uh, very soon uh, by Dr. Balu, written by Dr. Balu, and some of what we uh, discussed today also would uh, you know uh, be part of that, which is called it is called the leadership lessons for daily living. Uh, as I had mentioned, as we had mentioned right at the beginning, this is the first of the webinar series, and we will have more such webinars starting next weekend. You would have a series on the alternate approach to sustainable development by building human and social capital with economic growth. A series of webinars that would be. Uh, uh, curated webinar that would happen every weekend. In addition to that, uh, we lead uh, would also be uh, doing a series of uh, conversations, curated conversations. Look out for that as well, and we will uh, keep you posted. Thank you, and have a great weekend. And thank you very much. Bye bye. Thank you.